You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to Proof Text, a podcast, videocast that explores scripture. And we get into all kinds of stuff. And if you didn't listen to us last time, we talked about being led by God and listening to the Spirit. Um, and all kinds of things. And so anyway, I'm Fred Long and co-hosting this with my good friend, Michael Halcombe. And uh, Michael, you doing well? I'm all right, man. Yeah, always enjoy doing the podcast episodes with you. And uh, we've been on Galatians for a long time. You getting tired of it? Man, (laughs) I'm not tired of it, but um, uh, it would be fun to discuss other things, uh, you know, sometimes. But uh, we'll we'll keep plugging away. It just seems like, yeah, well, it's probably been a couple years. I mean, I know there have been times where we've hit lulls and we've made we've made space for other things, but um, it's all right. I I enjoy ha- Paul. And, have we been doing this for two years, really, Galatians? I don't know. It seems like it. Maybe a year. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> people are amazed. They're like, "How do you have time to do these podcasts?" I'm yeah. like, "I don't know. I don't do as many as Michael." But uh, I guess I am on like two or three times, but I mean, you're on like all the yeah. time. I don't know. Like, how do you come up with three new ideas or three ideas, like three things? Yeah, the Monday episodes, um, you know, I just, I'm perpetually, I'm a perpetually curious person. Okay. So I, I am always thinking about multiple things. And if I see something that piques my interest, yeah. It's a good chance that at least somebody else out there is interested in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just, I keep, I have a notepad app on my phone and I'll just like write stuff in there oh. that I see like, oh, this this is interesting yeah. to me. Uh, I could probably talk about yeah. this. So. See, my three things yeah. would be like fishing techniques or great grading mm. issues or something, grading or whatever. But uh, yours are just so broad. So anyway, just appreciate all that you do. Yeah. and. And uh, we'd love to have you all join us with the podcast. And if you'd like it, please subscribe. Uh, we'd like to keep mm-hmm. growing our, our base and just, uh, you know, I get, I, I think a little bit of our influence too. Like it's fun to share these ideas. I mean, Michael and I have spent sure. decades and decades interpreting scripture. Michael has been the preacher. I don't know. How long have you been preaching at churches, right? Has it been yeah. three centuries? You're not that old yet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two and a half decades, maybe. I mean, yeah, not centuries, (laughs) decades. Two decades. Two over two decades. Yeah. I know I'm getting gray, but (laughs) yeah. yeah. Oh well, we're we're um we're in Galatians four. It's getting real interesting here. Uh, twenty four and twenty five. We're getting to this issue of allegorization of scripture. Is Paul adopting a mode of interpretation here? Uh that is normative and can others do it well i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but michael could you read the text and let's uh, jump into it so verse 24 of galatians 4 michael has the text up if you want to read along work on your koine error pronunciation yeah uh is dulian genosa etisestin agar. Yeah, so a couple uh, things again you'll notice um, 
that the estin, the enclitic situation, is thrown its accent back. So on Atina, we have two stress points, two tonu, duotonu, uh, two accent marks. So you say them both uh, with stress. That's all the accent is doing in Greek. The acute, the grave, and the circumflex. All it is doing is denoting where you put your intonation, your stress, your emphasis. So Atina estin. You're going to pronounce those two words as if they're one. Uh, you have the double lambda, so you hold that just a slight second longer. Allegorumena. Right? Um, and I think that's all I have. You have the double new there, but I think that's all I have for uh, this verse in terms of pronunciation. You know, so. Well, thanks. Hey, we have some really interesting pronouns here. Um, verse 23 ends with a period, which shouldn't be there because uh, 24 begins with a, a, relative, a type of relative pronoun. It's called an indefinite relative pronoun, which combines the both types of pronouns, the form of the relative pronoun and the indefinite pronoun, the tina part of it. So there's actually two ways to parse, two, two different ways of parsing this, um, two different avenues. You can parse it through third declension endings of the tis, uh, ten, uh, tis, tis, uh, and, and t, the indefinite pronoun, or you can parse it via the, the relative pronoun, which is a lot like the article which is a, a two-one-two pattern um, of of adjectives or article endings there. So atina is a neuter plural uh, nominative. Um, it's working with a third singular verb, estin, which is not uncommon. Uh, that neuter plurals nominatives can work with a, a third singular verb, and actually we're looking at. Um, probably a periphrastic construction, the participle allegorumena is, is a periphrastic working with, working with the estin, the form of the verb to be. So which things are allegorized or are being allegorized or are being uh, spoken of allegorically? So which things are being spoken allegorically? So really that concludes that really belongs with um, verse 23. So there should be a comma at the end of verse 23. Um, and then you have a relative clause, which things are being spoken allegorically. Why knowing grammar and syntax is important, right? Like even just punctuation stuff like this, you wonder how could the person or persons on the committee doing this miss miss something that's seemingly so obvious like and punctuate it this way knowing yeah we all know of course the punctuation marks like this were not there in our early manuscripts but mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah i mean it's, it's important yeah yeah i'm sorry i cut you off uh the nesb has this is allegorically speaking new sentence but they do have a note that says this could be which. And he says literally which. Um, 
Now the indefinite relative pronoun is interesting because why why the indefinite relative when he could have just used the relative? So what's the additional marking grammatically added by the tena? I mean, it's a big deal. It's not simply ah, it's ah tena. In other words, the tena is what's not strictly needed uh, unless there's some mm. kind of uh, pragmatic effect. And I think I think it's Maximilian Zerwick in his grammar, and he talks that's that sometimes there can be sensed that the indefinite relative pronoun has an explanatory force that comes close to like a causal kind of sense. Now, so whenever I see one, I always think, how might this be supporting what was previously said? It's supporting it by way of kind of explaining more um, and kind of generalizing a little bit. Um, and so here, I think that I think I can make sense of it a little bit. In other words, in verse 22 and 23, Paul has been splicing out these two sons and stressing fleshness and uh, slavery and fleshness as origin versus freedom and promise. And so why has he stressed this distinction? Um, Verse 24a, which things are being allegorized, that explains why he's been doing this maneuvering to, to stress these out, is he's working this allegorically. I think that's how I'd understand that. Now, this, uh, this maneuver uh, of allegorization, this mode, I think it then raises questions, should we be allegorizing? today if paul can do it yeah does it should we can does that mean that we can do it um this is a great question. yeah it's a great question yeah. i think it's a typical question common question i think that paul is not doing allegorization <laughs> this verb had a broader sense and it can refer to like a typological maneuver now, Paul yeah, does yeah. typological exegesis. So what's the difference? Typology is when somebody says, there's some events that have a corresponding reality to what is happening now. Yeah. And we can learn from that corresponding larger reality, larger set of realities. Now, we can question whether those realities are realities or not, uh, but they have a correspondence at a kind of a large level. Allegorization is works more minutely and works many details out as corresponding. So uh, that, that, that many things mean many things in our contemporary setting. And that's an illegitimate move, I think, in terms of interpreting scripture. In terms of correspondence, so correspondences and similarities, yes, that happens all the time. And, uh, you know, Paul says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things are types for us and they've happened and they serve as examples. And he talks about the Israelites and their struggle with sin and temptation and trying to do things in the flesh a certain way, I think, is essentially what was happening 
rather than relying on the trust and promises of God. But here, uh, and here I think Paul is is doing an allegory, but in a, in a typological sense, not in a minute, uh, every detail corresponds kind of sense, and that we have to find the hitting meaning in this Abraham, Sarah, Hagar incident and expound all those hidden meanings today. Paul is not doing that. Rather, these represent two modes of being and modes of doing things. And that can serve as an instruction for us. Okay, sorry, Michael. No, I was just going to say, for example, right, Moses is a type of uh, lawgiver. Uh, Jesus is... So Moses is the antitype, Jesus is the type, or is it the opposite way around? I always forget type and antitype. Ante before. So Moses is the antitype, not anti, but ante. And Jesus would be the type, right? So you see that more like in Matthew or uh, things like that. I I, I was going to ask you, like, when I think of an allegory, like, I often kind of, like my mind sometimes goes to a parable, mm-hmm. like that parable of the seed sower soil, right? Uh, sower seed soil in Mark mm-hmm. four, like where a lot of the things are representing that gets really detailed. They're representing other things that like birds represent Satan and his minions and uh, the soils represent different, four different kinds of soil. The seed represents something and so on and so forth. I don't think that's what, I don't think, that Paul's going the parabolic route here so much like, yeah. uh, So yeah, I was wondering your, your thoughts on that. I think he's just seeing the two women and their two sons as like antitypes for two other types of people. Yeah. That there's a, and there's something true about the, the nature of correspondences. So to keep translating. So which things are being spoken of parabolically or allegorically um, or typologically? I like your, your yeah, typologically. Yeah. I like that. And then, so then he says, yeah. 24b, for these women are two covenants. So there's the correspondence that he's making. This is the analogy. This is the analogy. Uh, I think that might be another way to do it. Which things are 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 considered um, by analogy. These are two covenants, Paul says. For these are two covenants. On the one hand, one from Mount Sinai um, being born into slavery, which is Hagar. Which is Hagar. 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 Which Which is Hagar. Yeah, so there's, we're in the middle of a um, um, an explanation of of the one of them. So there's two covenants. There's one that is associated with Mount Sinai, uh, born into slavery, um, bearing bearing into slavery, uh, which is Hagar. So that's the one covenant. So that's the one piece of the puzzle, and so. According to this analogy that Paul is drawing, um, then Hagar represents slavery, and 
uh, that sl that slavery is is going to be contrasted, and he's saying that slavery is Sinai, so from Mount Sinai. So that's the real wild card. Is like, um, where does that? What legitimates Paul assigning that analogy to Hagar? Well, it's an analogy. Call, Paul can develop the analogy however he wants. If that's the if that's the association that Paul wants to make, that's he's free to do that. Now, why is he why is he associating Hagar, who was a slave person, with Mount Sinai? Right, because he sees he sees that Mount Sinai is associated with the law, which is leading to a slave mentality in his present situation where they're wanting to enslave people in a certain mentality. Now that's yeah. Paul's viewpoint. Does Paul have the right to say that and make that association? Yes. Now we could disagree with Paul, but he is seeing a situation and he's saying, this is the analogy that I want to draw here. And there's two ways of doing things by the flesh or by promise. If we're going to try to go back to Sinai and, and make it work according to Sinai principles, that is according to the flesh. And that leads to slavery. That's that's my take on it. That's my best way to try to explain that. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I was like trying to think of something analogous, like how we would you know, do this today, like we could say, uh, I mean, we, we don't know, right, that Hagar is born at Mount Sinai. I mean, we guess we don't think she is. Um, but Paul is sort of locating in her in a, a place that we don't necessarily associate with her. It's the same way that and we could say Joe Biden, uh, who was so we can say Joe Biden of Washington, D.C., um, but Joe Biden was actually born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, so we could we could associate Joe Biden with a, a location that he wasn't necessarily born in or that he was from to make our point, right? Joe Biden of D.C., well, we associate D.C. with money and power and mm -hmm. Uh, you know, all sorts of, of, of politics yeah. and, you know, things, corruption even. So if if we were to say Joe Biden of Scranton, Pennsylvania, that has a very different ring to it than Joe Biden of D.C. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we could we, go ahead. We could we could associate the person with whatever location we wanted to help make a point that we want. So basically, Paul is mapping mapping Abraham's story of having children of two types with two different kinds of women with two two different covenants these women represents covenant he that's an interpretive move that he can make he can say hey i'm speaking analogically i'm speaking typologically uh yeah. and and this is what he's this is what he's doing and so he is just simply saying then these women represent two covenants and once we once we map yeah. that on then hagar you know paul can assign which one to which one 
he's associating Hagar, the slave woman, with Mount Sinai and, 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 and slavery. Yeah. So these go together. So yeah. we have to ask, what is it in Paul's mind that he's associating the law, Mount Sinai, with slavery and the flesh? So these are running together. Why are these running together in Paul's mind? I think they're legitimately running together. And, and you know, Paul is arguing that. So he's not he's not just pulling the stuff out of thin air and, and like whimsically working with the text. He's working with boots on the ground, addressing the Galatians, and he's trying to draw an analogy. And he's trying to dissuade them from obviously associating with the law and saying and and and, and coming and the coming under the, the law. Yeah, the mosaic, mosaic law. law. Yeah. yeah, or Torah, if we want to mosaic Torah. I don't know how we want to describe that, but yeah, the the law of Sinai. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, let's keep going. Twenty five. I'll just read it and um, make maybe a, a point or two. Toda agar sina oros estin in de aravia. Sustuhide te nun Jerusalem Gulevi gar metaton technon avtes. A just really quick um, thing that uh, we see here we have the preposition n followed by the article te, and a reminder that when you have the new tav abutted like that, uh, it's ende. And so those are going together in day. Uh, it's the one place in Kep Poner pronunciation that you get somewhat of a D sound in day. In day, uh, that Tav sort of turns into a harder Tav to make it sound like a, a, a harder D. And then um, uh, there was one other thing that I was uh, wanting to point out. Where is it? Oh, I think it was just. Um, uh, so you have the U here and Yeru, so Omicron Upsilon. But then you have, and you have it here, Du, so Omicron Upsilon. And then you have Epsilon Upsilon. So the Omicron Upsilon doesn't sound like Ove or Uv, but whenever you have an Epsilon followed by an Upsilon, it's an Ev. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, whenever you have an Alpha followed by an Upsilon, it's an Av. But it doesn't work that way for Omicron Upsilon. It's U, Ev, and then we have Av. So just a couple uh, important things going on there. And one more thing. The Upsilon by itself in Sus, this is kind of a tricky thing because this Upsilon is pronounced the exact same way as the, Omic- uh, as the Omicron Upsilon and the next syllable, su stu, su stu, so that upsilon by itself makes the same exact sound as the omicron yota, su stu, su stu he. Yep, that's all for that pronunciation. Neat. <clears throat> all right. So uh, thank you for that. So here, let's translate this. They got a de, to de, uh, agar. Um, 
now or moreover uh, the Hagar literally this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia uh, for she uh, um, and she was it corresponds and uh, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she serves she is uh, I guess she is a slave or she she serves as a slave with her children wow that is um that is interesting now the um couple things so you got a couple des in a row so there's a next step in the progression so remember that the indicates new development or, or distinctive development so paul is continuing to develop uh more this analogy that he's drawing um, this association uh, in his in his mental mindscape is he's overlapped Agar with Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, um, and then he says, moreover, uh, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, and this is kind of a nice uh, expression: Te Nun Yerusalem, Yerusalem. Um, is uh, we see the the adverb noon functioning like an attributive adjective sandwiched between the article and the noun that it goes with. So the literally the now the now Jerusalem or the present Jerusalem. Yeah. So she corresponds is corresponding with the present Jerusalem for. So this is what's going on in Paul's mind. He says the present Jerusalem is enslaved with her children. Well, how is Jerusalem in slavery? Well, maybe to the governing authorities. They don't really truly have autonomy. And that means that they have to play the rules according to the Roman rules. And that means that, um, yeah, that means that they have to comply with Roman authorities and can do certain things, can't do certain things. It may mean that uh, the slavery has to do with enfleshness. And Paul associates enfleshness with trying to walk according to the Torah in, in the old, in the covenant of the Torah. And that covenant has now been, what did I say, superseded, replaced, reached its culmination, been culminated by, reached its fulfillment yeah. in the new covenant, and and so that is a different uh, reality. So Paul isn't dissing Jerusalem; he's just saying, yeah, I, I would say, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think the way that Jerusalem is, in, personally, I think the way Jerusalem's enslaved is that, by and large, uh, its inhabitants uh, subscribe to the Mosaic Covenant uh, and place that before and give priority to that over the Abrahamic promise. I think that's the enslavement. They've they've got it wrong. They're enslaved to a wrong, like, belief. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they're, they're um, 
they're attaching their allegiance to a place and defending that place and what's associated with that place as opposed to aligning themselves with God's kingdom and mission and promise. Uh, the promise of Abraham explicitly is to go to the nations. Yes. And instead, they're Jerusalem-centric. And that's a problem. Now, Paul also, we'll see in the next verse, he, he, is, he does affirm the Jerusalem above. But that Jerusalem is a free city. And so really the the ask the true aspiration of Jerusalem is above uh not an earthly manifestation of it and you know I think this kind of thing can apply to you know when we think about American politics you know we have to kind of go back to what was the real vision of America you know people will talk about this is it what we see happening now where there's money grabbing, political maneuvering, a uh, lot of um, nepotism, you know, where the children of certain people get privileges, uh, all kinds of abuses. And people will make this kind of, a, they'll, they'll, they could speak in this way. They'd say, that's not the true America. Paul's saying, mm. the, um, you know, the true Jerusalem, what it's really about. So, this way of thinking is, is we, we do this kind of thing. So when he's speaking about the present versus the above Jerusalem, now that's the next verse, really we do something very similar. We're, we're talking about the ideals, and, and, and um, in this case, there's actually a new covenant. Like, there are two covenants, and we're now in a new one that's connected with greater vision greater realities and the scope quite quite frankly is is larger uh the kingdom of god is not about a parcel of land it is about reclaiming the whole earth for god's kingdom and god's glory that's the scope of it uh we, we're working with too narrow of a scope too often i was gonna say i i just had an analogy pop in my mind like a a, a present day analogy that could maybe help make sense of this a little bit more. So Hawaii, where I live on the island of Oahu, we just, our, our state legislature, Hawaii, we're, we're democratic state through and through, um, uh, blue party. <laughs> and um, for some reason, our state legislators just passed all at the same time. Um, the legalization of recreational marijuana use, uh, concealed carry and gambling. And you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, like all this at the mm -hmm. same time. And I've had numerous people comment to me that we are the next Vegas or we are Vegas. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, like, think about the analogy. Now, I could say, like, uh, <laughs> Hawaii is a Vegas and Vegas is a Babylon and Babylon is Jezebel. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like the way that I'm doing that is 
you know, when I do that, I'm bringing all sorts of imagery from thousands of years of history all in to, to mm-hmm. describe and define one moment in time right now is what we are. We are a Jezebel. Uh, we are a whore. We've whored ourselves out. Um, we are a Babylon. We've become an epicenter of evil and corruptness. We are a Vegas and we we are putting that pride we are putting that corruptness and evil on display for mm-hmm. everybody else to see and wearing it like a badge. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way, Paul is saying you have a Jerusalem that really is a Sinai that really is a Hagar. It's an enslaved foreigner um, that has now wholly subscribed to that identity such that she can't distinguish her true identity, what her true identity is supposed to be, and is in fact wearing that as a badge, but she should be wearing this Abrahamic promise as the badge. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's totally. a helpful analogy for those totally. who are Listening, yeah, it's very but... helpful, Michael. We were searching for analogy, and I think you found it. Um, and what makes that it, it what makes it true is is the validity of the individual associations, um, and and that is what legitimates it. Like it's not legitimate just because you say it, and and that's that's yeah. what people are afraid of when it comes to allegorization. Is the 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 whimsicalness of the associations on the part of the person doing the allegorizing. Right. That's what we're, I would be opposed to is, is that kind of whimsical, but to the extent that the realities behind them are true, let's go ahead and make the analogy. But, but if we're saying, well, really meant this, that's not what Paul is doing. He's just making the comparison and the analogy and and to weigh the the accuracy or the truthfulness of that analogy is the truthfulness of those associations. Is Hawaii like yeah. Vegas, like you know, whatever, like you know, the murder capital of the world, or whatever, you know, like um, I guess the murder capital of the country now is uh, Jackson, Mississippi, because you passed. Uh, it used to be Gary, wow. Indiana, uh, murder capital mm-hmm. of this country, but the last two years it's actually Jackson, Mississippi. I think is what it is. Uh, terrible. So you you would weigh the truthfulness of it, and 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 I think there therefore also the legitimacy of that by how accurate are those associations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, well, this is, I think this has been helpful. I, I hope it's been helpful. Um, and uh, do we have a parting shot? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I have one. Um, a dog barks when his master is kicked. I'd be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Mm. Yeah. And how interesting do you think that applies in this case is, is someone kicking who's getting kicked and who's responding? Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's maybe multiple kicks going on in the Galatians passage, but, uh, 
Um, certainly Paul's giving a kick. He's giving a kick here and um, he's asking, you know, those of you yeah. who want to be under the law, do you not hear what the law says? Uh, verse 21. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this, uh, this, well, I guess the, the ones, the ones wanting under the be under the law are giving are are kicking God's truth, yeah. as it were. But Paul's giving them his own kick, his own kick yeah. back by associating these things uh, together, and then trying to get people to yeah. think above the present reality to things above. We're going to get to that next time. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Yeah. Really appreciate your insights into Kep and. Uh, to start things yeah. out and then uh, keep reflecting on things. Hey, uh, we really appreciate you listening to our podcast and watching us. We'd appreciate if you subscribe and spread the word. If you if you like what you see and hear, uh, let us know. Tell us uh, what you like, what you'd like to see more of. And uh, yeah, we'll continue bringing you this excellent context content sponsored by Glossa House. So take care, everybody. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glossa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.